Live from New York, it's Ask an Engineer. Hey everybody, welcome to yet another Ask Engineer. Can't stop, won't stop. It's me, Lady Ada, with me, Mr. Lady Ada. We're broadcasting live from downtown Manhattan. That's where Adafruit lives. That's what we do, Adafruit. We make electronics, open source hardware, tutorials, guides, videos, and more all here in Manhattan. Coming back strong, coming back better, coming back safer. We've got an exciting show for you tonight. I just wrapped up show and tell. Thank you, Noam Pedro, for hosting this week. We'll be back to hosting next week. But for the next hour-ish or so, we've got all the latest news, updates, videos, tutorials, guides, projects, products, and more. Mr. Lady Ada, why don't you tell them what's on tonight's show? On tonight's show, we'll briefly talk about we're still open, smart, and safe. We'll be talking about what's going on. We are shipping tons of orders out. Thank you so much, everybody, for supporting us, an open source hardware company here in New York City. These are some pre-pandemic photos. We are very much looking forward to some post-pandemic photos to replace these out soon. Show and tell people around the world showing and sharing their projects. Lady Ada will talk about who is on the show and tell. Thank you, Noam Pedro, for hosting tonight. Time travel, look around the world, makers, hackers, artists, engineers, some cool videos, some other stuff we're up to and more. Help wanted, jobs.adafruit.com has a place where you can post your skills, and if you're an employer, you can post jobs up there. We're going to go over a couple that were just posted up this week. Python on hardware news, going to look around what's going on with Python on hardware, including highlights from our newsletter, main New York City factory footage, look of what's going on at Adafruit, also some things that uh, Lady Ada built as well. Ooh. on her desk. I build stuff. 3D printing. Noam Pedro have a 3D printing video and also a sped up video that we're going to do. Time lapse. Everyone's favorite segment, DigiKey and Adafruit present. INMPI this week. There's going to be a product from Knowles. Mm. We're going to do new products. We're going to do top secret. We're going to answer your questions. We do that over on Discord. Adafruit.it slash Discord. And that's where you can post your questions up during the show, but we answer all of them towards the end and uh, I try to sweep the other social media places too, but Discord's the best place. That's where we answer them on the show and outside the show hours. There's people there all the time that want to help you out. All that and more on, you guessed it, Ask an Engineer. Yeehaw. All right, so let's um, just do some logistic-y stuff. Uh, we are still shipping smart, shipping safe, and I'm uh, pleased to announce... We've done this, like, you know, mini State of the Fruit. So our, our all-company meeting is called State of the Fruit. We do it every single week. Yes. We've done it even throughout the entire pandemic. We did virtual ones. Um, so as of today, we're once again hiring. So we have um, some roles opening in our shipping, logistics, and our test prep, and um, those departments today, this week. Um, and uh, we have a really good interview process where we're still doing um, virtual stuff, but there's also in-person stuff that we do later, and, and our protocols um, continue to keep our team safe. So we're really pleased about this. If, if you're looking for economic indicators or things, so right now the demand for all of our stuff is higher than we can uh, get to with the amount of people we have. Yay, that's good news. So um, consider that part of the jobs report that you might see in the uh, U.S. every single week. So that's worked out well. We already did a couple interviews, and they went really good. Um, all right, so uh, we're probably, what, like 75% done with 100 days of masking. Yeah. And we're putting a mask in each Adafruit order in the USA, and that's in addition to the freebies. Lady Ada, what freebies did they get when they put stuff in their cart? Okay, in addition to getting a free mask, just about every order, $1 or more is the limit, so just... Don't order something that's 50 cents and you'll get a free mask. $99 or more, you'll get a free uh, 
Permaproto half size breadboards or PCB for making your bread solderless breadboard projects permanent. Um, one nine one forty nine or more, you get a free STEM IQT board. We have a whole bunch of sensors and devices and actuators and digital potentiometers, etc. We'll give you a different STEM IQT I squared C board uh, with every order if you. Um, make an account. We'll make sure you don't get the same one you've already gotten for free. You'll get like a different one. Uh, if not, you'll just get a random one each time you, you book your order. And uh, we've got I squared C drivers and Arduino and Circuit Python and Python for all of them. Uh, UPS ground shipping at $199 or more, and then a free Circuit Playground Express at $299 or more. Still our favorite all in one dev board to get started with writing code in Arduino, make code, code.org, uh, CS Discoveries, Rust. CircuitPython. I think there's even MicroPython support now. Okay, everything's covered it. All the stuff is built in. Delicious. Yeah. And uh, one of the cool things with Circuit Playground Express is maybe you'll start off with CircuitPython. Maybe you'll move on to Arduino. Maybe you'll do MakeCode. Maybe you'll have a young person do block stuff with MakeCode, and then you'll switch over to Python with CircuitPython. Um, not every bit of electronics um, is designed for all of these things. Ours is, so you'll be able to use it for years to come. Show and tell people around the world showing trying the project. No and Pedro hosted it next, uh, this week. Next week we're back. Lady Ada, who is on the show and tell this week? What they share? Okay, uh, we had Kevin from Digikey come by. He made a uh, Cutie Pie demo. He, the Cutie Pie came in the Oshawa goodie bag. Uh, Oshawa's happening, I think, starting tomorrow. Yeah, we'll we'll Friday. show the we'll bag. Show bag. We have the bag. Goodie bag, and if you got the goodie bag for this year's uh, Open Source Hardware Association conference, you'll notice there's free hardware in it, and that free hardware is open source. So it's like the snake eating its own tail. You get a Cutie Pie uh, SAMD21 board. Um, they said, "Don't you want to toss something in?" A couple weeks ago, we said, "Yeah, we got a bunch of these. Toss them in." Free board SAMD21 on CircuitPython or Arduino, and uh, that's what Kevin showed off doing some NeoPixels. Uh, Bill B. has an update. He's out of the hospital. He's feeling better. He told people to get vaccinated. Um, you know, thankfully, he's, he said he's not on oxygen, and uh, he's, he's doing much better. He even got to work on a project, an accessibility project. Uh, he said it was like the worst weeks of his life. Uh, he's had a really rough time, but he's on the mend, uh, so it's really good. And he said thanks to everybody who gave him well wishes. Being in the hospital is really lonely. Um, if you know somebody who's in the hospital... Uh, there's still a lot of people getting hospitalized. Uh, let them know that you're thinking about them because it's a, it's a lonely, scary place. There's a lot of beeping, a lot of machines. You know, there's like crises happening all around you. It's scary. Um, don't want to be in the hospital, so... I can't prove that all of the uh, heartwarming messages from the maker community help Bill, but I can't disprove it either. That's right. So thank no, you. No, he said it helped. Yeah, I so, think it does. So thank you, everybody, who uh, put out so many well wishes. And I was talking to Bill over email. And uh, it's good to see he's on the mend. Just so. great. Yay. Yeah. I'm so glad. Ah, it's just, it's really tragic. Um, next up, uh, JP uh, had a Neo Key Featherwing demo. He's also playing with the new Funhouse board that we released this week. He got an early one, and he's going to be doing some home automation projects. Uh, Liz had a Neo Trinky demo. She got, she got right to it. She's making a little capacitive touch NeoPixel um, notifier thingy. It's just a Neo Trinky is our new board that you plug into a USB port. Uh, still working on a guide for that, but Liz uh, trucked ahead uh, uh, with Resolve. Um, so hopefully maybe she'll also do a project. She also had a guide uh, that went live this week. It was a um, Sailor Moon star locket with the Circuit Playground Bluefruit. Scott also showed off his goodie bag, talked about some of the Bluetooth stuff he's working on with Circuit Python. Don't forget to watch Deep Dive with Scott this Friday. 
Micah made a Python controlled car. It's a car with a little motor controller, turns the wheels, it's a little like a mini mini car. Uh, so you can now drive with Python and hopefully stay safe with that because uh, you don't want to be debugging your car and accidentally run into a wall. Um, next up, Alvaro had a LoRa ESP32 Feather uh, demoed uh, and a couple other projects. Um, Dan came by with a netbook and regaled us with the history of netbooks. And uh, John had, I, I had to have it on mute because we were getting ready for the show, but it looked like he had a Pico RP2040 keyboard build and also a NeoPixel and feather-powered clock with a bunch of feather wings. So lots of good folks uh, coming by, some folks we haven't seen for a bit or new folks, as well as uh, friendly, happy updates. All right, it's all part of our Adafruit Live Series of shows. If you're watching this right now, it's Ask an Engineer, 8 p.m. On Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., we do Show and Tell. Those are our Wednesday shows. Desculpe Data is what we do every single Sunday. And this week for the highlight reel, what I did is I took the whole show and I have it play in 48 seconds. Okay. So, because we're covering so many things in Desk of Lady Ada. I can't remember that. Them. Yeah, so we have the great search yes. with DigiKey where yeah. you go over a specific part. Rotary potential. Yeah, and then that? you also have all the stuff you show. So you can narrate this uh, okay. exciting clip. So I've been doing uh, NeoKey stuff. I'm also working on Seesaw NeoKey. So this is a four-key I2C uh, chainable system, and I added rotary encoders. I'm also going to make one with four rotary encoders. So this is me demoing that you could have four rotary encoders. I showed off some trinkies, slide trinky, rotary trinky, uh, and then we did the great search for a potentiometer that'll match the rotary trinky because uh, I, I have potentiometers, but I don't know what the part number is. So I go through uh, trim pots, uh, different values, linear, logarithmic, different mounting styles. Um, physical sizes, uh, shaft types, and I finally found a good one. I think this was it, the PTV09. It's a lot. So I think, I think I'll try to do that each week yeah, because help. it has so much stuff. So this Sunday, um, we're going to probably be demoing a new feature. It's a little bit of a surprise. Now, this isn't the top secret section yet because you can find this on Learn, but uh, we call it the Project Bundle or the Project Bundler, and we use... Bundlefly to help us out. Uh, it's a way to just get all the things you need for a CircuitPython project in one zip file um, while you're looking at the guide. So we'll, have, we'll probably have a live demo of that um, this weekend. So check that out on Sundays. On Tuesdays, we do JP's Product Pick of the Week. This is the only electronic show that I know of that broadcasts live from a product page where we do a huge discount during the live show. So if you watch the video later, sorry. But you know exactly when it's going to be on every single week, so you can just time it. So here is a recap from this week's. The PA1010D, which is a mini GPS module in QT format. We're gonna run this out the door so that it's facing the sky. I have a feather. This is the RP2040 feather, which has this very convenient QT cable connector to it. And I have that running to one of our lovely little OLED screens. This is telling me my latitude and longitude. I'm actually running this through a bit of a scrambler. This will take you somewhere in Peru. That's not where I live. Then it's telling us our altitude, uh, the fix quality. And then you can see here, it's actually telling me that it's getting uh, 11 or 10 satellites that it's seeing right now in the sky. That is my product pick of the week. It's the PA1010D. 
and it is a mini GPS in STEMI QT format for use with I2C and UART. All right, the JP workshop is on Thursday. I'm going to show a couple little uh, clips of things that were on the show recently or previews of what's ahead. And then also JP's probably going to be showing off the Project Bundler tomorrow as well. So if you want to see a preview, you'll have that. So I'm going to show these back to back and we'll see you on the other side. This is a capacitive touch light switch made with the Feather RP2040 running CircuitPython and connected to the Cricut Robotics platform. I've got some copper tape here running to one of the capacitive touch pads on the Cricut and a servo motor inside of a 3D printed housing that will flip the switch on or off when we touch the copper switch. Tomorrow, JP's workshop. You can watch all this and then some time travel. Some of these this week are all they're, they're part of other parts of the show, so I just put them where I where I could in order of whatever was uh, in the folder of images I had. So there, there's a bunch of stuff going on. Okay. So you want uh, me to narrow what they are? Or you you know they don't know. What? No, I'm gonna do it. Okay. Yeah. So uh, normally in the open source hardware section we do news about open source hardware, but there's also uh, it's time travel, so there's events, mm -hmm. and we also do you know learn guide stuff. Um, this Friday is the Open Hardware Summit, yes. and it's virtual. You can Scott's get a ticket speaking. for twenty bucks. Yeah, um, because of COVID, the Open Hardware Summit will be virtual twenty twenty one. Join April 9th, twenty twenty one, from ten a.m. to five thirty p.m. Tickets are available on Eventbrite. The goodie bags sold out, and Scott is from eleven fifty five to twelve. 10, interface design in open source hardware and software. Scott's going to be there. Adafruit team will be in the chat and all that. So we'll see some of you there. And um, as far as the goodie bag, so we were um, and are a sponsor. Can you grab the goodie bag? Yeah. So we're, um, we're a sponsor of Open Hardware Summit. And this year there is, um, here is, uh, you can see the, the bag. Yeah. I'm going to do a full un un unboxing, unbagging. Um, I just wanted to show just a couple of things. This is uh, another bag, ShopBot. Nice this bag. is the um, Hackaday Circuit Sculpture Calendar 2021. And also, the neat thing about that, CircuitPython Day is in here. Um, funny side story, when I started Hackaday, I'm not doing it now, but when I back when I founded the site, I actually did a calendar as well. It was part of the plan. Mm. Um, there's a bunch of stickers. There's, um, Sparkfin has a spork thing. Spork. Um, we have the only microcontroller in uh, this, this this year. So this is a cutie pie. There is other electronics. This is the uh, lunchbox electronics. This is a stop and go kit. And as you can tell, a bunch of stickers. Stickers. Um, there's a flash drive. 
there's um, a lanyard, bottle opener thing, and Ooh, a pen. Bottle opener's kind of funny. Yeah. So those are the things that there's are in the goodie bag. So you have an idea of what's in there. Yeah. If you feel like you missed out, you can buy a cutie pie um, if you want. And support open source hardware from Adafruit. And if you want, you can go to the Open Hardware Summit site and you can buy tickets, support them, or you can just donate and become a member. So that is the Open Hardware Summit on Friday. Scott speaking. Check it out. Say hi. Yes. Lots of good talks. All right, Adabox is um, going to be shipping late April, May-ish, and um, we have, we're have we full with the number of um, Adaboxes, but there will be cancellations and, like, you know, Sign up. You'll credit be cards notified. don't work. There's and always a shot. You have a shot to get this in your yeah. box. This, this, sorry, this quarter's box. Yeah. Um, you don't have to uh, refresh the CVS or Walgreens site or Rite Aid no. to get Adabox. But there is limited supplies yeah. for Adabox. All right, um, other bits of time travel. So we kicked off the Collins uh, Notes, Collins Lab Notes series, and each day around now we have a new one. And so I'm going to play um, these back to back. They're less than a minute. You'll see these on like our TikTok and different social media Instagram, platforms, YouTube. and they're miniature versions of what a lot of people remember as Collins Lab. But these are Collins Lab Notes. So take it away, Colin. White noise is defined as a random signal having equal intensity at different frequencies. It's used for audio engineering, generating random numbers, and of course, sound synthesis. It's easy to generate white noise using a simple circuit that sort of misuses a transistor. By reverse biasing this NPN transistor, we're essentially pushing current through the opposite way it was intended to flow. To do this, the reverse voltage needs to go above a threshold of 6 volts. Then the noise is generated and amplified by that second transistor. And it sounds like this. Let's crimp a connector. For these JST-XH pins, I'm using 24 gauge wire along with wire strippers and a pair of Engineer Universal crimping pliers. Strip about 3 millimeters of insulation from a piece of wire and twist the conductor together to keep it from splaying. Each connector has a long set of arms to grip the wire insulation and a shorter pair to grip the wire conductor. Place a connector in the crimper's 1.6 millimeter slot with the longer arms still outside. Insert the wire right up to the insulation so that we're only crimping the conductor. And squeeze firmly. Check to make sure the connector has a good grip on the wire. Now place the larger collar arms inside the crimper's 1.9 millimeter slot. Then give it a strong squeeze. Check again to make sure it's all secure and you're good to go. What's the difference between lead and lead-free solder? Well, besides the obvious, compared to 6040 lead solder, lead-free solder has a higher melting point, and the joints it produces tend to have a rougher appearance. Lead-free solder also comes in a variety of alloys, such as tin copper, which costs a bit more compared to leaded, or tin silver copper, 
which costs significantly more but has benefits such as improved joint strength, resistance to corrosion, and improved wettability, which is the tendency of the solder to flow onto a heated surface. Also, the flux used in lead-free solder tends to be more toxic to humans, so be sure to employ a fume extractor. But you already do that, right? Yes? You're nodding? Good. It's a good idea to keep a few types of soldering iron tips on hand to cover common applications, and swap them out as needed. The flat screwdriver tip is probably the most common. It's a good choice for through-hole parts and likely your best bet for everyday use. Fine point tips. As you might have guessed, these are excellent for directing heat to smaller joints and surface mount parts. And of course, the mighty hoof tip. Great for larger joints and higher power components, the broad flat point transfers heat quickly. Avoid using one of these on anything delicate. A hot hoof can easily trample sensitive parts. Whichever you use, keep it clean and keep it around longer by turning off the power when not in use. Seriously, it's easy to forget. What temperature should you use with your iron? The short answer? For lead-based solder, set the iron to about 650 degrees Fahrenheit. And for lead-free solder, you can go up to 750 degrees Fahrenheit. And the long answer? Well, it depends on a few different variables. Namely, tip size. A larger iron tip is better at transferring heat, which means you can use lower temperatures. And with a smaller tip that transfers less heat, a higher temperature will work better. On the other side of the equation is the solder joint. A large solder joint will require more heat, so a higher temperature setting is appropriate. And a smaller joint that heats up faster can use lower temp. Keep in mind that higher temperature settings will reduce the life of the tip faster than low settings, so when in doubt, start with a lower temp and increase as needed. Soldering surface mount ICs can be surprisingly easy using the drag soldering technique. To solder this QFP package to its new home, I'll use some .015 inch solder, an iron with a flat screwdriver aka chisel tip, some no clean flux, and a stick vise. Start by positioning the IC on the board and anchoring it in place by tacking in pins on two opposing corners. Apply flux across the pins to help spread the solder and keep things clean. Melt a few millimeters of solder wire onto the flat side of the iron's tip. Then briefly drag the tip across the pins to distribute the solder and remove any bridges that might appear. Looks pretty good. I could have used a little less solder, but otherwise, good to go. Alright, help wanted, you can go to jobs.adafruit.com and check out some of the things that people are looking for. This one was posted today, DevsUp Engineer, this is a Passport Inc, looks like it's remote, and then this is looking for a Python programmer for one job with Neo Trellis button LED board. So, a lot of folks that uh, are good at following our tutorials and writing a little bit of Python code, this might be a role for you. All right. Python on hardware time. Blinka, blinka, blinka. So, I'm going to talk about some of the things in the world of Python on hardware, and then I have um, something that's a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's a good example of some Python stuff going on. Okay. And then um, a little bit of a success story, and then a cautionary tale 
that maybe we can wow, all work on together. Wow, I feel like I'm just going to like, I'm going to have a whole movie in front yeah, of Yeah, it's going to be a little bit like it's that. It's part of like the Marvel so, CircuitPython 6.20 was released. Released, released. I know we've been doing betas and betas and betas, but we're really, we're really done. 6.2. I mean, we'll we'll do a 6.21 if necessary. Any of the bug fixes, but we are starting to work on seven. So, um, a lot of stuff happened in six. We added uh, RP2040 support. We did a lot of USB work. We added a lot more boards. A lot of graphics stuff happened. I mean, these are all the changes since. Uh, beta 4, but overall, you know, which, are, which are a lot of bug fixes, yeah. but overall, we have done a ton of work in 6, um, and we're excited to do 7. You know, 7 is going to have um, more M7 IMX support, probably also do a little bit more RP2040 stuff, and, uh, and more. So, um, thank you to all the contributors. I'm going to talk about how people are contributing in a second. Here's something that someone tweeted. They... Uh, Got their first contribution to an open source project. Accepted and merged back to the master branch. Driver bug fixer, CircuitPython driver for the BNO005. Thank um, you. In every place that we release CircuitPython, we always thank all the contributors. Thank, yeah, you, so thank, you. thank you so much. Thank you. Everybody. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank it, you. This, is, this is a very good, functional, healthy open source community that is publishing a lot of software and taking in lots of contributions. So thanks, everybody, for making that happen. I'm going to talk about that in a second and how... There are some good success stories in that because you always don't hear about the success stories. Um, don't forget, Bernard Ware Summit is this weekend. Uh, well, it's Friday. Friday, Friday. Um, it's kind of like a weekend. Um, Early weekend. Scott's Deep Dive uh, series celebrating one year this week. Congratulations, Scott. So he's Yay. been doing these for one year. If you want to see the building of something like CircuitPython, which is going to be up to 200 boards soon, we have 196 boards, we're getting close, over 300 libraries. If you want to see a lot of the smarts that went into this, Check out Deep Dive every single week. And the chat. Yeah. Um, the other thing is um, some, keyboards. some emergent trends we're seeing. The um, People love keyboards. Yeah. The, w with CircuitPython being able to show up as a USB drive and it being so easy to do things like a keyboard and people having more access to things like PCB design software or something like the Pico, which runs CircuitPython, or having all these um, keyboards that they've always wanted to build and being able to kind of, you know, put these together in lots of different ways. We're seeing tons and tons of keyboards. So I think with, like, all of the work that you're doing now mm. with getting more keyboard stuff into the shop, the ease of use for something like CircuitPython, and then the accessibility for all of the resources to figure out how to make this, and then being able to uh, do it. There's a lot of people that making it their own keyboard is going to be their very first project. It was very hard for them to do before. Now it's going to be really easy. Now hold that thought, because not everyone likes things easy. Um, what? What? How? But, what does but that we're mean? seeing, but we're seeing more keyboards ever in the entire like, from me covering, from me starting Hacky Day covering stuff at Meg. Yeah. I'm seeing more keyboard projects now that people that people who this is like one of the first projects they're doing, uh, publishing and getting out there and sharing with uh -huh. others. Uh -huh. So it's kind of cool. Okay. So macro pads more. Also think because of like stream decks and stuff like that. People are people are using more than just a keyboard well, to control. Well, it's like everyone's their at stuff. their computers constantly. They want to like make cool interfaces. Yeah, on them. this is the Dazzler and Gamebuino Circuit per, uh, Python to create sprite animations. Those are always neat. How to use Circuit Python with GPIO on a PC. That's an FT two thirty two thing. More macro pads. Macro pads. Um, this is an ambient, ambient temperature reactor orb, a Raspberry Pi Pico. Um, Robot. With MicroPython example, MicroPython 3D printed draw, drawing robot example, a Pico CO2 based carrier board with display, 
a PyKibo that uses CircuitPython. Keyboard, keyboards. Yeah, so... Um, Matrix LEDs, cats. This is a um, CircuitPython to produce audio with a meow bit and has the cat. Yeah. If you want to see uh, or experience the pulse of what's going on in MicroPython, check out the slides and all the notes from the um, Melbourne MicroPython They've got a they've got great notes, a great yeah. community. We added... Um, there's a book that just came out in French... That's CircuitPython. We added that to Awesome CircuitPython. So if you check out github.com forward slash Adafruit forward slash awesome.circuitpython, you can see all of the resources, boards, links, news articles, and more. We keep it on GitHub. Feel free to do a pull request if you find anything. Um, other odds and ends, we have a video that shows you how to use uh, Feather 2040. Um, this is someone else made it, but... The new chip is out, so a lot of folks are exploring it. We have an oldie but a goodie. These are CircuitPython-powered sneakers. So these are like the... Um, uh, the Lil Nas X. Yeah, the... Devil shoes, but it's like, what if you want to just use your existing shoes and like yeah. 3D print a little Adafruit logo? Don't worry, so. Nike's not going to sue you. And you don't have to get special edition when I 666. You can just 3D print these yourself. Yeah, and uh, this is flexible PCBs with CircuitPython and a whole bunch macropads, more. Macropads, 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 Picos, yeah. ESP32s, and more. So, um, How I can you not love it? Yeah. Um, I also wanted to mention, if you want to check out the Pi, the Pico PyCorder, this is using the Pico and making a... It was just like first contact day for Star Trek. So you could check out this Raspberry Pi Pico running CircuitPython for this Elcars-like interface. Um, this is kind of neat. This is a MagTag um, Moon Crescent project, so it shows the phases of the moon. And so much more. So um, I wanted to talk about uh, two things. I'll get to the contributions in open source and how to get them. But I did want to mention something. So today was like, if you're into particle physics. What um, happened with particle physics? Yeah. So the, the muon was spun around. And the standard model, we still might need new physics. We still might have new physics. There's mm -hmm. mysterious particles out there there's mm -hmm. mysterious matter that we don't know mm -hmm. about yet mm -hmm. and that was the news today and i watched the video about this um interesting possible discovery yeah. apparently you need a little bit more for it to be official discovery it's like five yeah, five yeah. sigma then it's a discovery but basically an experiment from a long time ago showed that this wobbling particle wobbled a little bit more than maybe it should so it's probably hitting these anti-particles as it, as it runs around yeah. of what they are who knows who knows and there's a particle zoo at the moment that, that it is what it is. There's okay. quantum mechanics and then yeah. there's relativity and we don't have something that works with gravity. Right. So this is neat. Sure. And one of the things that I always like to figure out is what tools did they use? Yeah. What tools did they use? What tools they A million years ago, I interviewed Brian Green, a uh, string theorist for Make. Yeah. And I said, do y'all use like instant message? And it was like, I don't know, 10 years ago now. And he's like, this is the first time someone ever asked me. I'm like, because it can't all be chalkboards. I want to know, like, what are the tools you use right, every day? Right, right. Like, Discord? Like, what's good? What's I'm like, deal? do you, like, gossip about particles? Like, how does yeah. it work out? Yeah. So, anyways, um, if you watch the video, and I, I put it on our blog post about this, okay. um, it's Python. They're using Jupyter Notebooks. Yeah. This is the, there's a series of numbers that they wanted to get down to a certain amount of precision. And so if you're learning, it, it, and it's like, it, I was like, there's oh my numbers. gosh. Like there's green, and there's pink, and there's blue, and there's... Yeah, but you can you can check it out on the video. Just It goes by pretty fast. Uh. But here's a Jupyter Notebook, and it's like... That's cool. It's like yeah, Python. Yeah, here it is, and this is how they're figuring out 
based on the results from running this, based on the supercomputers that are popping out the numbers. I see. They're like, here's the theory, and here's what actually happened. And yeah. it's like four sigma, three sigma out, right? From from yeah. a standard, the deviation of like what they're expecting. Yeah. So, I don't know. So the, 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 Too many particles. So the good news is, um, if you're into particle physics and yeah. you're a physicist, you have a bunch of work to do because it looks like there's other mysterious things. Dark matter, dark energy, and this. So yeah. you got a lot of discovery ahead. Great. Now, the thing that I was talking about before, which was how are we doing this like CircuitPython thing? And the, the reason why CircuitPython, and I think Python is working out, because everyone gets to contribute. Yes. So if you are interested in physics and science, at some point someone had to learn Python, and eventually they used it to interact with this particle accelerator. Yeah. Um, it's not some like unknown language that only the particle physicists know. No, it's Python. Yeah. And so when you start doing computer science or if you start doing electronics, I think it's really intimidating. And this was like, when we see this type of tweet, we're just like, this is great. So this is a person tweeted, um, aspiring roboticist. That's kind of cool. What's their name? I bet, I bet they're interested in robotics. Um, and their, their contribution is now part of a high-profile open source project. It's merged in. And it's for CircuitPython. And every single CircuitPython release, we have tons of contributors. We have our core team. That's how we ultimately even hire people and do stuff. And we didn't seek this person out. They did it. They, they found that this community was, was really good and really accepting to beginners and no matter what their contribution is. So I normally don't do this because I try to not only focus on the positive stuff, but all of us can collectively work on something. So this was a comment I saw, and I'm just going to summarize it. This person basically said the maker movement is lowering standards. The maker movement is making it so anyone who wants to put an LED on a bike can do it, and they're just interested in that hello world and that project, and they're not really learning anything. It's lowering standards. And I think this is one of the worst things that, maybe that wasn't their intention, but I think this is one of the worst things you can say online to someone yeah that because oh, who's standards yeah what standard is this who came up with the standard yeah and what what is about these people that are coming into this tech world that you yeah. don't like is there something specific about them like what's wrong with them what is it yeah. so you know some people call this gatekeeping i remember when you were posting on avr freaks like 15 years ago and Maybe they did 20 years ago but yeah yeah well okay 15 or 20 years ago <laughs> and and these these engineers with 50 years of experience they saw your name, Lady Ada, and they're like, get out of here, lady. Just get out of here. And they Yeah, they were angry. I wouldn't contribute to their wiki, and I said, I don't like wikis. And I still don't like wikis. <laughs> but they, they didn't like the idea that you were making electronics so much easier for people. Because yeah. that, meant, that meant the face of electronics was going to change. That meant different people were going to come in. Yeah. So when you all see these things about, like, standards are lower or more people are going to get in, that... I know it, it hurts because at first I'm just like, I was angry. It's actually a little bit when people say, oh, it's a toy. Like, I, I used to hate it, but I actually love it. Whenever you hear somebody say, oh, that's a toy, um, that's when alarm bells should be going off because that means that it's a disruptive technology. Anything that's yeah. a toy is the next generation of technology that you just don't understand yet. Yeah. So, so it's like when people are like, oh, it's a toy language or this is like toy hardware or like, the, you know, like... This this whole like scientific endeavor is a toy. Yeah. Um, a toy is a plaything that that is creative and fun, and that's what usually 
ends up being the disruptive technology that takes over from whatever is happening now. Right, like I remember so, the Raspberry Pi was a toy. Yeah. And now it's like half of like industry uses it for single board computing. So I, I've seen this phrase used a lot. And a million years ago, I wrote an article about Arduino and like how, how it won in getting so many more people to get into electronics and anything that came along later would be Arduino-like. And so I see this phrase used. So when we all see this, let's you know celebrate the successes, continue to get pe- people in. But let's make sure, because this, this grows and it becomes dangerous and cancerous, and I'll tell you why. I've seen people, and we've deleted this when they've tried to do this. Um, oh, MIT must have lowered the standards to let you in. You've heard, like, we've gotten, like, crummy emails yeah, from dudes. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, and so this is one of the things that people say and, and do. And then they're like, yeah, they did. <laughs> like, they were, like, I just totally cheated and lied and so, stole and... That, whatever makes you feel better. So, but but this is this is the thing. What we want to do. I still have nightmares about my HASD paper. What what we want never ends, you know. What we want to do is continue to do this. But uh, as bad as it, painful as I saw that on another website that said the maker movement and all and these Arduino things are lowering the standard for everyone. I knew that we're being successful. I knew the success is here because when they see that, they're seeing new people, different people from them, and it's freaking them out. Oh no. Oh no, I'm not going to have people like me only in engineering. And so this is, it, it, it's a good thing. And we want to move more towards this. Anyone can contribute and, and grow and do stuff. We all started out somewhere as a beginner. And if I can, I'm going to try to go back and, and see if I can have this person see my note. I'm going to say like, d- surely someone cared about you and, and wanted you to learn something when you were younger. Everyone was a beginner at one time. Yeah. So don't say it's lowering standards when we're just getting more people in. This is so. Anyways, um, one day I would I'll do a talk about like helping to build good communities. But this idea that there's standards and and some people should be allowed in and some people shouldn't is not the whole. That is not the way to 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 get to a healthy open source community that contributes. What you want to be is in this spot where people can see their successes and maybe this will bring them on to an entire new yeah. career and. I'm happy to see that there w- they, d- they didn't feel that there was some barrier or standard. They're just like, oh, I put the code out there, got merged in. Yay. Anyways, so that's Python on Hardware News this week. All right. Next up, open source hardware news. Uh, I have two things before we get to the guides, Lady Ada. So we put this up on the blog. This is, like I said, there's a bunch of stuff going yeah, on this Yeah, this week. is interesting. So this is neat. Google versus Oracle has been going on for 10 years. Google used the Java APIs to do stuff in Android, and Oracle said, you are infringing the copyright Even of the APIs. The, the API itself is copyrighted, even yeah. though you re-implemented all of the Java backend framework. And what's neat is they said it isn't, and this is very good because... Um, and, you know, API... And languages are now APIs, right? They're... they're, they're the thing about Java was not just the language, it was the API, the standard API that was used to interact with the language. Um, because, you, you know, it's like you, you had to, there was so much stuff built in with Java, right? There was like string management and like hash tables and everything. And all that being built in, um, it's good that a language isn't, and, and its API isn't copyrightable because it means, uh, first off, people can't control languages. Um, people's code can remain free compilers can remain free um, and it can be re-implemented in a black box manner. So like as, as computing goes, I think this is good to have, you know, we don't have to worry about like somebody saying like this, this 
you know, I, like I don't think anyone would do it, but we, we don't want somebody to invent a language that becomes popular and say, okay, I own it, the, co the compiler is mine. You cannot implement your own version of this language. You cannot implement your own compiler of this language. So um, I sent a note to a friend and I said, because uh, I was just trying to catch up after like, you know, a year of all of us just being survivor mode. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, I would love to write about how this is going to help open source hardware. So this is the first round for software and APIs. Um, we are our instruction sets copyrighted. I'm sure it's been it's gone to court. Ship plans are in a different category. Yeah, Recipes yeah. are in a different no, category. No, no, I know. There's I'm just all wondering. sorts of things. I don't think so. There, you know, uh, I'm sure AMD fought this with Intel. I gotta look it up. Everyone wants to be a test case. Um, so no, no, that's not true. All the lo <laughs> the lawyers want to defend a test case. Uh, or wants to be a test case. The people themselves do not want to be the test yeah, case. Nobody wants to be a test case. Um, so. You know, there's debate about, like, well, Google's a giant company, and they can afford to do this for a decade or so, and that's true. Um, but this is also very helpful, um, and there's a lot of things. Book scanning, I like that Google made sure that was possible. There's the, the way um, you can publish a video on YouTube, and it, it's possible to publish a, a video almost anywhere. There's DMCA and all that stuff, but it is possible to do it. There's fair use things. It's so basically turn in the fair use. So I think again, if I if I had time to do journalizing, um, put on my my journalizer hat, I would try to um, show that this is going to be something that comes up in hardware and hardware APIs and software APIs and all this. This is a good thing. This is excellent news for all of us. And the transformative nature and the artistic thing and the what a programmer does with an API um, was uh, I, I think upheld of what what programmers think. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, like I would use the API. Like that's not copyrighted. That's not protected. I'm, I'm interacting with it in a way Look, that's Look, I mean, it, it obviously wasn't, it, it's not, it, you know, code is copyright, but in this particular instance, this part of the code is not. I mean, it, it has to go to court. I, I'm glad it went to court, right? So uh, if it was really obvious, it wouldn't have gone to court. So obviously it wasn't that obvious, yeah. but I'm glad that it came out this way. Okay. That's good. And then um, next up in the news, I thought this was neat. So this is Kevin Scott. This is the CTO of Microsoft. And... Um, did a very nice tweet about our Loeb's machine learning kit with Adafruit. It uses our BrainCraft hat, and it has all the cool open source stuff from Microsoft, and it has all of the neat things from Adafruit. So this was really neat. I thought it was a really good example of open source hardware and software for machine learning and AI, which I think that's the next other thing for all of us to think about is, um, you know, the algorithms can easily be blamed for lots of stuff that happens with AI and machine learning, but a human wrote those. So we could just have more people, more diverse people writing the algorithms, more people using these things, and they'll get better. So this is uh, yet another example of maybe making it too easy. Imagine that, AI and machine learning being too easy. The standards are getting lowered every day around here. So uh, I thought that was neat. It just went in with my theme um, yeah. of making things easier for everyone. And nothing can ever be too easy. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, why anyone think that? Okay, we did have some guides this week. Yeah, two thousand four hundred fifty-one. What do we got on the big board this okay, week? Okay, we've got the LED snowboard from Erin. Uh, she and her snowboarding friend made a cool uh, snowboard. Uh, some waterproofing technique, weatherproofing techniques in this one. Neopixel techniques, and also it's motion activated. It's when you tricks. It lights up um, with different things. Uh, no and Pedro, and we'll have a video for that. No and Pedro made uh, a guardian robot, and I can't remember. This is from. The new Zelda game, uh, the fighting one. Anyways, you have this little guardian robot companion sits on your shoulder. Uh, they made a little autonomous robot, uh, and uh, it's adorable, and it kind of like looks around, and then it blinks its little eye, 
Um, it's all 3D printed and it uses CircuitPython to program it. We've also got uh, Sailor Moon Starlocket by Liz Clark. Uh, she, I guess she wanted some cool cosplay uh, technology. So this has a little swirling moon um, that mimics the, the Sailor Moon Starlocket. It's 3D printed uh, and you can of course wear it and it has a circuit playground inside with a uh, uh, TFT gizmo. Um, and then last but not least, we've got the analog knobs for Raspberry Pi 400 project. We want to do a CyberDeck project uh, and show off the SemiQT connector. JP took um, our one of our quad analog digital converters, uh, connected it up to um, the Raspberry Pi 400 through the CyberDeck and made like a cool four knob input to OSC, which is an um, audio control software system. So you can use it to control synthesizers or other uh, audio devices over OSC. So it's like a nice audio cyber deck project. I don't know. Like, love the cyber decks. So I think we just put some in stock too. So if you're looking for one, go check it out. Okay. And then we have a little video about the snowboard project. your own LED snowboard with NeoPixel animated lights. Add motion reactive animations using CircuitPython's LED animations library. The Feather M4 and PropMaker wing fit neatly inside a GoPro camera case, keeping your electronics safe and dry while you hit the slopes. See the full build tutorial at learn.adafruit.com and remember to subscribe for more fun project ideas. All right, here is some main New York City factory footage. We have a time-lapse and then some other videos, and we'll narrate these and see on the other side. Cutie Pie RP2040 That's right. Out. We made them this week. We made a batch. We're going to be making more. I know we did not have a lot. Please uh, sign up if you didn't get any. Um, we always do a small run to start to get our testing and yield working out, and uh, we have some things to learn, but then we're going to make tons more.
is a build. This is our itsy bitsy tester. Yeah. That's how we make testers. We have to put in those pogo pins, solder them in, and then we have some code that tests each board. Go, go, go. All right, and here is one of the testers. This is, uh, yeah, we're now uh, programming our NR51s directly from a Metro, which is super neat. Uh, didn't you see will do that? This is a cool word clock. It is 10 to noon. It is Wednesday. <laughs> it's the 7th of April. All right, well, you know when this video is taken. Okay, this is a little CO2 sensor. I think we, uh, this must be uh, somebody on our team testing out CO2 levels in various places. So this is uh, underground. This is upside down. This is upside down in the... Uh, it's in the subway. Or it's in Australia. No, just kidding. It's, uh, it's in the subway. It's about 650. Some blocks are getting some stuff. And then uh, here's another... Here's a sideway video. Uh, this is receiving right now... Um, if you're wondering where all the parts on planet Earth are, we have them. Ha ha. No. no. <laughs> and it wouldn't be New York City factory footage without the time lapse of all the construction at the Disney building. That's across the street. Look at them go. You can tell the weather's getting nicer. Yeah. All right. 3D printing. We've got two videos we're going to do. We're going to play those back to back. One is this little bot, the Zelda in the Zelda universe and then a speed up. Okay. In this project, we're building a shoulder robot with CircuitPython and electronics from Adafruit. It's 3D printed to look just like Terrico from The Legend of Zelda Age of Calamity. Our companion robot sits on your shoulder with a magnetic plate and metal backing hidden underneath. Terrico is a tiny guardian robot who's traveled from the future to save Zelda. It's got an LED for the eye that randomly flashes, making it look like it's autonomous. The robot is programmed in CircuitPython, and the code was written by Philip Progress. With CircuitPython boards from Adafruit, they work just like a USB drive, so the code is easy to update. The NeoPixel and motor libraries make it easy to code projects with servos and LEDs. The demo code for this project is available on GitHub. You can get the parts to build this project, links are in the description. The head was 3D printed upside down with support material using PLA filament. A brim was added to improve bed adhesion. The parts were 3D printed using marble gray and gold colored filaments. The LiPo backpack is wired to an itsy bitsy board to allow the battery to be charged over USB. You can use flush diagonal snips to easily cut the trace to enable the pins for an on off switch. Be sure to check out the Learn Guide for a full step-by-step -step tutorial on building this project. These Molex cables are wired to the Itsy Bitsy to make the assembly much easier. The boards are connected together using silicone wires. The Itsy Bitsy is fitted into the case and held down with built-in clips. The LiPo backpack is secured inside the case with a machined screw. This metal-geared servo is wired to a 3-pin Molex cable. The servo is installed with the wiring fitted through the cutout. The cable fits through a hole and is pulled through the other side. Screws are used to secure the servo to the enclosure. A JST extension cable is connected to this LiPo battery. 
The JST cable is fitted through the hole in the enclosure and plugs into the LiPo backpack. The slide switch is fitted into the holder with the actuator accessible on the other side. The NeoPixel ring is wired up to another Molex cable. The PCB fits over the servo and press fits onto the center of the ring. The battery can then be nestled inside. The NeoPixel ring plugs into the Itsy Bitsy. A 3D printed attachment ring is secured to the servo horn with a screw. The feet are made from these 3D printed pyramids that feature ball socket joints. They snap fit together to form the limbs and are press fitted to the bottom cover. A magnetic plate is installed and has two very strong neodymium magnets. The plate fits into the recess with the magnetic discs fitted through the holes. With everything installed, the bottom cover can then be snap fitted onto the enclosure. To diffuse the NeoPixels, the eye is 3D printed using clear PLA. Inside the head are these clips that grab onto the frame of the servo horn attachment. The head is placed over the case with the clips fitting into the ring attachment. You can use metallic acrylic paint to add textured features over the head and legs. And there you have it! Welcome home, Terrico! So if you're looking to build a companion bot, we hope you're inspired to check this out. Check out 3D Hangouts every single Wednesday. Now Pedro will show you how to make all this stuff and more. It is time. DigiKey and Adafruit present. This week's Iron MPI MPI is from Knowles. That's right. This is from Knowles. Uh, they do a lot of audio and microphone stuff. Uh, and I thought I saw this microphone and I was like, oh, this is going to be just another i2s or pdm mic but this is a really interesting microphone the ia611 um so this is like an all-in-one voice recognition system that lives inside of a, a teeny microphone chip so uh, let's show what it looks like so this thing is basically the size of your your standard pdm or um i2s microphone uh, as you can see even the top port this is about three by four millimeters or so and here's the problem that this is trying to solve so you know, everyone now has these like AirPods or IoT devices, and they all have a voice activation or a voice command system. Do you ask, you know, your your um, AirPods to do something? You ask your uh, voice assistant to do something. You wake up your phone with it, and you know, audio interfaces are really neat because uh, first off, they're really accessible. They're really configurable. You don't need buttons. You don't need to be near it. Um, they, you know, you can use them even if you're busy doing something that the ads always have people like cooking and they're like, 
you know, getting recipes or whatever, or like, you know, telling their phone to call their mom. So, you know, a lot of people want to add voice uh, control to their products, but adding voice control is really challenging. Why? Because voice recognition is actually computationally very difficult. And also, you have to be listening all the time. So, like, compared to, you know, Bluetooth um, radios or a button press, where, you know, a button press, it's, it's a mechanical thing. You can use the button press to send an IRQ to wake up your chip. So, you know, it's we have that capability built in or... Um, you know, with something like wireless, it wakes up every 20 or 100 milliseconds and looks for uh, data being sent. And, you know, the, the data is being sent continuously. So as long as you wake up and you listen for long enough to catch the preamble of this RF message, you're good. But with voice, you're not going to tell people to repeat themselves because they're not. And humans have this annoying habit of like speaking whenever they want. Like in the middle of the night, they'll, they'll ask for you know, a horoscope or, you know, while they're driving, like the car is doing something and they'll ask for directions. There's, there's no way to predict when humans are going to speak. So you have to be constantly listening and you can't miss any of it because if you do, your voice recognition algorithm is going to mess up. You really have to capture the entire utterance. Um, and it's not easy to do. It's quite hard to do. Um, and oftentimes there's even cloud-based backends that do um, the full command recognition, but to get started, you want to have a wake word, right? And that's why you say things like, okay, Google, or okay, Alexa, or okay, Siri, or, or whatnot. And so if you can at least get the wake word stuff to happen automatically, you can then boot up the rest of the system and then do the cloud uh, competition for the rest. So this chip, this microphone is to be designed to be embedded into systems where, like for example, mobile or you know, headphones or whatever, and it can do some basic commands or it can do wake word activation. And it's like the wake word is the key here. It doesn't do more than that. But if you can do the wake word activation, it can kick you back into um, the main processor, which does the rest of the process, uh, the audio processing. So the IA611, there's also apparently the IA610, uh, but we're going to talk about this IA611 so you can see it on the right. Again, it's PDM microphone shaped. Uh, but it's got some extra pins. It's four by three millimeters. Um, and it acts as an I2S or PDM microphone. But in addition, it's got this DSP inside. So if you like look on the left there, there um, it has like this kind of like cool CAD image. The two green dots in the middle are the MEMS microphone elements. There's the dual mic elements. And then there's a wire bonded chip. And the chip is the DSP chip, which you can program with um, a voice wake word model, it comes with a couple apparently um, already, or you can program your own and download it into the firmware, and then it will kind of constantly be listening and do your wake word detection for you. So, um, uh, can you extend? Oh yeah. Because I can't read that. Okay. Um, okay, so you've got the i611, uh, so it's got like the Sisonics MEMS, which we've actually covered some, you know, MEMS microphones. Um, Inside, it's got, uh, you know, a chip with the always-on acoustic detector. So the always-on acoustic detector is what detects if there's any audio at all, right? So it doesn't make sense to be running your wake word processor when there's no data coming in. So there's some, some basic, like, is there audio signal coming in from the analog section? Um, and then uh, that will trigger an interrupt to do the voice wake processing. And then once it wakes, it then will... Um, you know, tell the application processor over I squared C or UART or even SPI. And then inside is this, you know, 42 megahertz, 32 bit, uh, you know, 
Cortex M0, I don't know, Cortex M3 with the DSP subprocessor and lots of RAM. It needs lots of RAM because it actually buffers a lot of audio for you. And we'll, we'll chat about that in a moment. Um, okay, so the, DM, the DSP subsystem, it uses this Hemi Delta processor, which does all of the, you know, it's, it's optimized basically to be able to, to do the audio processing. Um, what is the actual algorithm inside? I don't know because I'm sure it's under NDA. And, and even if I did know, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Um, you know, go and register over to the Knowles website. Um, you'll probably have to get uh, permission act, uh, to, to get access to the DSP. Um, but once you're cleared, uh, you could probably write code directly for the DSP or, or you can at least, um, you know, optimize your code uh, for the DSP. But that's the processor that's literally inside the microphone. Um, so then there's the pads on the bottom. On, on the bottom, it has a bunch of different audio ports. So once it does the wake word activation, Right, and it, and it sends an IRQ back to the main processor. It goes into a pass-through mode, and the pass-through mode um, can be an I2S or PDM. So, you know, no matter what your subsystem is expecting for basic microphone detection, um, I2S or PDM, you basically can configure the mic to give you either. And then the control messages, which is you know how you configure it, download firmware, download models. That's an I squared C UART or SPI. Um, and then here's, here's how the, the basic works. So it, there's the ultra low power mode. I, it's under a milliamp. I think it's like 200 microamps or something is the ultra low power mode. It's you know, sitting around waiting for any signal at all, any audio signal. And then when it gets some audio signal you see at the top, it goes into stage one. Uh, stage one is where it will um, look for the keyword. It will start to try to do that keyword detection. Um, you want to pick a good keyword, something that's very unique because you need to pick it out of general conversation. Um, when it detects the keyword, it sends an interrupt to the host. The host wakes up within three uh, mil uh, seconds and then can take over and gets the rest of the, um, the ASR command. That's like the rest of the command, right? So it's like, you'd say like, hey, Q audio, you know, turn the audio up. So the hey, Q audio is the wake word and turn the audio up is the command. The, the command is taken care of by your host processor, which has like intense cap computational abilities. The keyword is taken care of by the microphone itself. Um, and then what's kind of neat, which I thought was a, it was a cute hack is after it wakes up, right? And it does the IRQ to tell the main processor, okay, I detected the wake word. It will then, um, it has a circular audio buffer where it will buffer uh, two to three seconds. It says three seconds at the bottom, two seconds at the top. It buffers audio so that the host has a few seconds to wake up because sometimes it like it's going to take a while for it to come out of sleep mode and like you know get the memory ready and get the processor ready. And so it has three seconds in which to wake up, and then it can read all of that um, stored data from the microphone, the microphone is acting like a little tape recorder. It can read that and then do um, the processing. And then it can, of course, then tell the microphone once it's all done with the processing, everything can go back to sleep. Um, if you want to, you know, it comes with a built-in training word. Uh, I think it was like voice cue. But if you want to uh, do your own keyword, they have an Android app and it's interesting. It's like you can actually train your own keyword and you can take like lots of, uh, you, I, I don't know if it's meant for end users or like developers, but you could use this to collect all the data because you have to collect a lot of data when you're doing wake word detection because of course you want it to detect all sorts of accents and people have like different voice timbers and they have different pronunciations. So you're gonna have to get a lot of that data, but they have an app that you can use to collect all that data. Um, 
And then the model file, you actually can use um, Atmel Studio, which I thought was interesting. They, they have a dev kit that you can use with a SAMD21 processor. And you take that um, WAV file and then it converts it to a, a, a trained model, right? It does the, the computation to convert it into whatever machine learning model that's used for the utterance. You don't upload the wave. You, you combine all the waves together, basically, and you kind of take the averages of them to create the, the binary model. And then that binary model is downloaded into the microphone on boot. So you can, you know, the I squared C and UART SPI interface, that's what you use to download the audio model into it. So you, know, you do have to set up the microphone. It's not like a trivial thing, but there is example code uh, for all of this. And there's a dev board as well, of course, um, pick up the dev kit, and, and what's nice is, you know, folks who watch the show are probably familiar with the SAMD21 and Atmel Start and Atmel Studio. It's pretty easy. They have an example um, that goes with it, and so you can use the built-in uh, default model. Um, I have a, they have a couple examples like, you know, turn on the lights and pause the music and all, you know, couple, three or four commands. And then you can practice with programming your own commands. And, and burning it in. So remember, this is good for wake word and then maybe very short basic commands. It's designed for headphones, but I think anything that is battery powered, right? Because it, this is really good for low power usage where you want to have the, you don't want to be listening all the time. Like if you're plugged into the wall, you don't need this because you can just run your DSP constantly. It doesn't matter. You're just constantly listening because it's a very high power activity. It's for battery powered things or like things that are uh, headphones or um, cellular phones or mobile devices, radios, whatever, where you want to have uh, voice control, but you don't want to spend all of your power sitting there waiting for audio to come out. So this is like, it's a like very turnkey solution, right? It's actually kind of neat that they um, shoved all of that into this little microphone. You know, and the price is not that much more than a normal microphone. So you can save like six months of development time by picking up one of these. It's so, on DigiKey because this is IonMPI with DigiKey. That's so right. You can look for it with, uh, you can type in uh, SPK26111HM7H or the actual short microphone URL, itself. Yeah, or the short URL digikey.com forward slash short forward slash T7AQ8N44. Yes. So there you go. So the, I, I think this is neat because we always talk about machine learning on the edge. Um, so this is like the perfect example of ultra edge computing. Yeah, and we have a little one minute video from them that we're gonna play. Okay. The Knowles Intelligent Audio IA611 Software Development Kit is an industry-leading solution that accelerates time to market with its combined hardware, software, and firmware package. Featuring the world's first smart microphone, the IA611 Smart Mic is a high-performance top-port MEMS microphone with an integrated DSP. It's ideal for ultra-low power always-on devices for the mobile, ear, and IoT markets. The onboard open DSP can be used by algorithm developers to create unique and exciting voice UI experiences for devices such as Bluetooth headphones and speakers, wearables, mobile phones, and voice-controlled smart home solutions. The Knowles IA611 SDK provides a comprehensive set of tools for developing DSP algorithms on the smart mic, 
And that's this week's Eye on MPI. Eye on MPI. All right, before we jump into new products, are you going to do any products with that, Mike, you think? Are you going to do like a Stemma or a Featherwing? Or? I, I'm interested. You know, I got the dev kit. I still have to. I've, I've played a little a, a little bit with it. Um, I want to make sure that if we do make a breakout or board for it, that it's something that people can use without having to sign an NDA. Because if you do, it's like it's very limiting to people. And then I would just say, hey, just buy the eval board instead. Okay. All right, let's jump right into new products. Ready? Okay. All right, so here is um, this little holder here. Yeah, this is a, a battery holder. I actually got these by accident, but I was like, these are kind of cool. These are used in like little toys or like wearable jewelry. This is a coin cell holder with a little button and a little bit of circuitry, and it goes through flashing modes. So even though it's like a, a coin cell holder, you know, and it provides three volts to whatever you've got. When you press the button, it goes through three different modes. Uh, fast flash, slow flash, and then constant on. And then, of course, uh, when you press again, it goes off. Um, so, you know, I think, yes, it's used for LEDs and little LED decorations. But I think there could be also projects where you want something to not be on all the time. Or you, you, you want to, um, you know, maybe make some, uh, you know, I'm thinking like um, folks who do... Uh, squishy circuits or other basic electro, you know, electronic circuits where you don't want to have a microcontroller blinking an LED, you could just use this instead. So let's uh, go to the overhead and I can show off uh, the demo. So I actually have it with the, the other LED product I'm going to show off. This is a gigantic LED with a diffuser. I press it once and uh, turns on. Uh, fast flashing. Press it again. Hold on, Mike. My camera is like so upset. Hold on. Okay, sorry. So you press it off, fast flashing, slow flashing, click again on constantly, and then press one more time to turn off. So I think it's still pretty handy. It comes with bare wires. I've soldered them on, or you can use alligator clips to connect to uh, whatever you wish. Okay. Next up. Okay. We've got mechanical keys, multiple different mechanical keys. We've got, uh, these are reds. So these are um, kale box reds. So you can see uh, there's this like, box on the top and that's what your uh, keycap plugs into. Um, so these are, you know, they can, you can plug them into our, um, our Neo key, our Neo key uh, breakout boards. Um, they uh, are all equivalent to Cherry MX's. So if you have something that's like Cherry MX or Cherry MX, Cherry MX compatible, um, you can use these. So just there's four different colors. I'll go through all of them, um, but they're all mechanically the same size. They just have different feelings to them, which I'll have to try to be evocative. So the reds are linear, and they're kind of the most popular. So we'll start with those. Um, the next one are the sure the bottom. That's the bottom. Yeah, you can see they, they plug in. Next up are the KL Box Blacks. So these are a little. They're also linear. They don't have any sound um they're a little bit stiffer than the reds some people like the blacks they're equivalent to cherry mx blacks again you know the same uh size and shape they plug into our sockets whatever then there's the red uh the browns um and the browns are tactile what does that mean it's like when you press it there's a little bit of a bump to them it's not an audio 
click, like it isn't, it doesn't sound loud, but there is like a little bit of a bump so you can feel that's been pressed. Um, and these are equivalent to Cherry Mix Browns. And then finally, there's the Kale Box Whites. And these are actually clicky. So if you want loud, clicky buttons, these are the clickiest by far. Maybe I'll even take one out and I'll demonstrate the clickiness. So that's me clicking. It's clicky. So these are the clickiest. And then um, you can feel the clicky. Yeah. Why don't you focus in on Yeah, it's tough because it's it's white. No love. Yeah. No love. Contrast there. The browns, again, these are they have they, I can just feel like, oh, there's a little bit it's hard to tell. You gotta just feel them. There's a little bit of a bump to them, so you can really feel that you're uh, pressing them. And then um, the the blacks, which are a little bit uh, stiffer than the reds, and then of course uh, the reds which I think I stole for a project, so I don't have them here. And then uh, you can get keycaps and uh, anything that has this X top to it. You can see there's a little X to it. Um, snaps onto the box to make for a, a keycap. So, you know, you want a keycap, again, anything that's Cherry MX compatible is within this family. It'll work just fine. You click your clicks content. Okay. And then uh, you had shown this little have circle light up thing yeah this is, a, this is an led i mean we have these like strip led backlights these are hemisphere ones i think these are used for like car gauges or something um with lcd car gauges but not sure exactly uh they're kind of cool if you want like a unique shape um they have two leds in parallel in them so provide them with like 30 or so milliamps uh, they just look like a white led so give them like 3.3 volts put a resistor in line if there's more than 3.3 volts going into them PW on them, again, it's just an LED with a gigantic diffuser. All right, next up. Next up, I2C Mini. This is a little uh, I2C helper buddy from um, X Camera Labs. So they make the I2C driver and the SPI driver. So this is a little mini board that has firmware that can communicate with uh, your computer. They have Python 2 and Python 3 libraries and some other libraries that let you send and receive commands from I2C devices. Um, so the larger one has like a TFT screen and like debug info and all that good stuff. This one's meant to be small and inexpensive. It's got uh, a FT, uh, sorry, a CP2104 um, USB serial converter chip. So there's drivers available and then it just sends commands back and forth over serial. And uh, this one, what I like about it is it has a STEMIQT uh, compatible port on it. You can also plug in uh, SparkFun quick boards and uh, they come with a cable. So you can just plug in any board with header on it if you'd like. Alright, next up. Next up we've got these NeoPixel dots and these are funky. I gotta explain these because they are not what they seem. So most NeoPixels, what we call NeoPixels, are basically shift registers. You, when you send them data, the data, you know, you send a strand of data down into the first NeoPixel. The first NeoPixel will take the first three bytes off of the data that's coming through and pass the rest along, kind of bucket brigade the data over. And that's what lets you basically chain as many NeoPixels as you want together. You just keep chaining them and you just send more data. Each one only you know, grabs the data it needs and passes the rest along. Um, and that's why NeoPixels have inputs and outputs because the data comes on the input, gets reduced, and then sent out the output. And these are not, these are prefixed address LEDs. So what's interesting about these LEDs is they are NeoPixel protocol compatible. 
but they don't have an input and output. They just have a data line. And the LEDs, there's 100 of them, 0 through 99, they are uh, considered uniquely addressed. And if you like, cut the strip and rewire it, it doesn't matter which pixel is, comes first in the strip. They all will respond as if they were in that long strand. This is a little bit of a, of a mind twist, right? Because we're used to like, oh, the first LED is the first LED. In this case, the first LED is pre-programmed to be first, and no matter where it is physically on the strand, it will act as the first so one. So if you, if you chop out 50 to 60... It'll still act like 50 to 60, even if you put it at the beginning. Yeah. Very weird. That's good to know. But this, so you're like, why would I ever want this? Because here's the thing, you can't have more than 100 pixels. Like these are pre-addressed. You can't yeah. get another strand. Like if you get multiple strands and tie them all together, they'll all act the same, right? They, they all one have... One will act like one, two will act like two. Exactly. Yeah. Like if you chain them at the end, there's not going to be, like you don't yeah. get to extend it. However, there are situations where maybe you have um, a costume or you have a, a build where you don't want to have... You want to have addressable strips, but they have to be like in a tree, like they branch out from a central point, but you still want to address them uniquely. This is what it would be good for, because even though they're all connected to the same input, they act as individual LEDs. Um, or, you know, if you want to have, um, another nice thing is if one pixel breaks, it doesn't break the rest of the strip, right? That's another nice thing about these, because again, that one data line, it's not a bucket brigade, it's all shared. So if one gets cut out, one gets damaged, one gets smashed, it doesn't matter. The rest of the strip still works. So kind of interesting, a little bit weird, um, but kind of cool. I think that there are some situations where people would want them. But just be aware, you don't want to mix these with like normal NeoPixels unless you really know what you're doing. Because if you think about it, like it's, very, it's, it's counterintuitive to how most people are used to now using NeoPixels for like yeah. the last 10 this years. This is like, okay, now it's hard-coded in a weird way. It's hard-coded, yeah. and you're probably wondering, hey, can I change the hard-coded address? And the answer no. is no. <laughs> no. We don't know how to do it. There might be. I have no idea how you would do it. All right. Next up, we have an update, another version of the Lobe Kit. Yeah, so this Lobe Kit is um, now available with the Raspberry Pi for 2 gigabyte uh, as a pack. Um, however, we're out of stock on those, too. The, we have sold out of all of our Raspberry Pis at the moment of this Broadcast yeah. that said we have the pack without the Raspberry Pi. So if you have a Raspberry Pi 4, check it out and you can uh, experiment with the free Microsoft Lobe system for programming your own custom AI models. Next up. Um, this SHT31 is a popular uh, temperature and humidity sensor from Sensirion, and we now have it in STEMIQT format. Yay! Same as before, but now in our standard pinout order and uh, physical shape, we also have a little cutout to keep it uh, isolated. Uh, we've been going through and STEMIQTifying all of our old sensors. So uh, the SHT31, you know and love, a great little sensor. Still has that uh, uh, protective cover on it. The Teflon cover um, uh, is a good sensor. And uh, we have Python, Arduino, circuit Python code for it. And now you plug and play it. Hey, you can plug it into that I2C Mini that we showed earlier. All right. We have two stars to show tonight besides you, Lady Eight, our community, our customers, and all of our team. First one up. First up is the Cutie Pie. Uh, okay. Cutie Pie RP2040 is finally here. We previewed this. It's now live. Uh, it's the same Cutie Pie that is so adorable that you know and love. Now, you can see on the bottom, it's like super powered. Because people were like, how oh, could you make a Cutie Pie M4? And I kind of never got to it. But this is kind of the same. It's going to be as fast as a SAMD51. 
Uh, it's got eight megabytes of flash memory. It's got that uh, 130-ish megahertz dual-core Cortex-M0 runs CircuitPython. Um, there's going to be an Arduino core, runs MicroPython. It's got USB-C. Uh, all the goodies. So let's maybe, uh, let me show it off real fast on the overhead and I can give a tour. Hold on, i got to find my hold on, plug. My magical plug. Can you go magical plug? Um, so I actually have it uh, controlling some of uh, these NeoPixel dots. Um, okay, so uh, USB-C, little fella here. Um, so it's got uh, power pins. So over here you've got your uh, 5 volts ground, 3 volts pin. You've got the SPI pins in the same location, uh, clock, data in, data out. You've got two UART pins, hardware UART, RX, and TX. You've got um, I squared C data and clock. And then here's something uh, different than the original Cutie Pie for the SAMD21. This is a different I squared C port because there's two ports available on the RP2040. So this is uh, the second port. So you actually get two extra pins because these don't conflict with these uh, SDA pins. And then you've got the four analog inputs because there's four analog inputs on the RP2040. You've got the boot button uh, and you've got the reset button. And the boot button after you've um, loaded your program, you can use this as a, a GPIO pin input. So you can use this as a user button as well um, after you've booted. And then on the bottom, uh, you've got the RP2040, a crystal, again, eight megabytes of flash memory, um, capacitors and all that good stuff. And then uh, this little jumper, uh, this is uh, for Bill Binko who always wanted to have a way to have, when this is a, a finally has USB host capability published and documented, you can use this for USB host as well. So it's super adorable and small. Um, it's basically pin compatible as the SAMD21 Cutie Pie, uh, but of course, tons more powerful. And uh, of course, you know, has all the support circuitry. Oh, there's also a NeoPixel on the front, forgot to mention, uh, so you can blink uh, to your heart's content. You know, I would like it. I think this is going to be a fun and popular board. Yeah. Uh, it's really powerful. It's got, you know, 11 IOs available for very tiny projects where you don't need all the stuff that the Feather has, you know, battery charging, um, lots of GPIO pins. Uh, this will do the job. It's it's very cute. And it's also got castellated pads if you'd like to use those. So I think this could be a, a good little engine when you need something very small, very portable. And that USB-C is, you know, it's a wonderful connector goes either way it's nice and strong um but easy to use all right one of our new boards funhouse okay also we have it double double the goodies this week so funhouse is um our home automation board uh based on the esp32 s2 which is uh now circuit python compatible and recently uh, i saw 2.0 expressive arduino uh support added for the esp32 s2 which is great so we were thinking about doing home automation projects and what would we want in a platform that's really just for home automation. We did a couple projects with the Metro ESP32 S2 to do home automation, but we're like, well, wouldn't it be great if I had all these sensors built in and I had a TFT built in? And there was so much stuff that we were like, oh, hey, can you have this built in that we're like, you know, we should just, we should just make a board that is really designed specifically for home automation um, and hopefully we'll even have um, home assistant support for it as well. So let's look at it on the overhead. So I'll, I'll turn on the TFT in a moment. Okay, I'll zoom out because this is so big. Uh, you already zoomed out? Okay. Now we are. You might want to show the... Uh, uh -huh. Okay. There you go. 
Okay, so uh, this is the. I'll turn on in a moment. I just want to show things off. Remove yeah, the protector. Should. That's good. Uh, right. You should. Uh, but, you know, also show the amazing silkscreen layer. So, silkscreen by Phil B. Uh, did a wonderful job here. Uh, I just said, okay, it's like a, you know, it's like a triangle top board, but he, uh, he took it a step further and made it really goth, which is great. Um, so uh, on the front here, we've got three GPIO buttons. So you get button input, so that's great. This is the reset button, and uh, there's also a little doorbell. It's a piezo buzzer. Uh, this is the on-off switch, so I can plug this in now. And uh, we always like it so that you can turn off things, especially stuff where it's like sensing. So let's uh, turn this off, turn it back on, quite nice. And then uh, we've got the buttons. So if I press this button, you can see this lights up, uh, up and down. And when I press it, it's going to go beep, beep, beep. So that's a little piezo, so good for notifying, doing audio projects. There's a little red LED here just for indication. And of course, there's five dot star LEDs at the top, which is wonderful. I like it's, it's like a little Christmas tree lights on your house. Um, a light sensor if you need one. Uh, and this is kind of neat. Uh, you know, the ESP32 S2 has native capacitive touch support. So we added uh, here is when you touch the crows, the little goth crows, when you touch them, you can see the cap touch number goes up so you can detect uh, capacitive touch as well. And then there's also a slider here, although this code example doesn't have it, but this is a um, five element uh, slider. So you can use this to you know, dim your lights or raise volume or lower it. So um, touch the tree to, to change the the volume or or just use a slider control with capacitive touch um, and then down here we have uh, a humidity and temperature and barometric pressure sensor and uh, people are always asking me to add cutouts so it's not affected by the heat of the the Wi-Fi or power supply so there's a little cutout that's why there's these slots here to keep it as isolated as possible um, you can see the temperature and barometric pressure and humidity here um, and over here is a, a PIR sensor slot. And of course, I forgot to bring it, but you can plug in a PIR sensor into it on the front and it points out um, to do uh, uh, motion detection because that's a common thing for home automation. And then on the back, um, you've got the ESP32 S2 with four, is it two megabytes of PS RAM or four? Can't remember. I think it's two megabytes of PS RAM, four megabytes of flash memory. Um, ESP32 S2, which is great for CircuitPython. We've got good CircuitPython support for it. It's got Arduino support for it as well. Um, it's basically like your ESP32 that people know and love, but it's got USB support, um, which makes it great for CircuitPython. It shows up as a disk drive. Uh, there's a reset button, sorry, a boot button over here for putting it into bootloader mode. And then um, we've put extra Stemma uh, ports over here. So these are analog input ports that you can connect uh, digital or analog sensors to. Um, each one of them is analog input or digital I.O. Um, so you get three ports. So, you know, good for water sensors or um, uh, uh, magnetic relay sensors or relays that you want to control something with. Or, uh, you know, if you want an external louder speaker or, you know, uh, um, other motion type sensors or brake beam sensors. So lots of different sensors that we have in the shop that people want to use for home automation or sensing around their house. Uh, you would plug that into here, and then of course you could have the sensor be far away from this board, because let's say you want to plug in a water sensor. If the water sensor's on the board, you're gonna destroy the board because it's sensing water, and it's like, it's gonna freak out. But if you have the water sensor uh, plugged in here, then you can um, have the wire go far away. There's also a STEMIQT connector here, so you can of course connect any one of our I2C uh, devices. Uh, this is a TFT connection, and of course our favorite USB-C. 
And then we've got these um, SMT nuts. And here's a, while we were designing this, Phil B said, hey, you know, by the way, um, your design is really close to the same size as a Raspberry Pi mounting holes. Like I was only a few, just by coincidence, when laying out this board. So we did is we actually made it so it's exactly the same um, hole pattern as a Raspberry Pi. So you could actually, like literally, if you had long screws, you could just screw it onto a Raspberry Pi computer or use a Raspberry Pi case or accessory. Um, so you could actually kind of act as like a, a Pi shield and do all the sensing stuff for you that the Raspberry Pi, it, you know, that would maybe run Home Assistant and this would do your sensing, your NeoPixels, your button inputs. Yeah. Analog and, to digital conversion. Analog to digital conversions. Yeah. Even the DAC, it's got a DAC built in, so you can do digital to analog. Wow. All that stuff. It's like a home automation hat. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I think also you could have it be remote and control, you know, communicate over Wi-Fi. So I think, like, you know, we've been playing with the Home Assistant a little bit and other home automation projects. So I think that this is kind of like what would be a really good base for a home automation projects using CircuitPython or Arduino or using it with Adafruit I.O. So we've got a couple that we've made. We're still manufacturing some more um we'll get them into the shop so if you've got ideas for home automation um check this out see if this will do what you want if not let us know what what other sensors you want to be able to plug into it to extend and create your own custom um, home, home automation projects okay there's a couple questions that i lined up in the chat but okay. why we do that i'm just reminding everyone post your questions over here for it slash discord uh, join all 28,000 of us. Let's do one quick top secret. All right, um, I'm going to be posting up this one on the socials later, but this is the start. Oh, yeah, we're doing, so we're doing, like, these seesaw boards, and, like, you know, I did one with NeoKey, and this one is Neo Rotary. so this is a quad rotary encoder to I2C converter that um, you could plug and play with Seesaw and STEMIQT to get to add four rotary encoders over I2C, which I think is like neat because I really like rotary encoders and I really hate coding rotary encoders. All right. That's the top secret for this week. Yeah. Okay. So here's the questions that I lined up. Start to get to them. All right. Yeah. First up, what is the difference between a capacitor and a rechargeable battery? This is from an aspiring engineer. Well, like technically nothing, right? Uh, uh, they're, they're kind of the same thing, um, except a capacitor uh, uses an electrical field instead of a chemical process, and a battery uses a chemical process, but they're still storing energy and releasing it. A capacitor is going to be a lot faster. Um, like it charges nearly instantly. Its capacity is much smaller, um, but it's much better at um, dealing with high frequencies. This is in the case, of course, of using it as a, as a power um, bypass uh, you know, storage device to help you reduce ripple in your circuit. Uh, for other purposes like AC blocking, of course, the battery capacitor are totally different. But they're, you know, in that one specific case, they do act quite similarly. But they have different chemical versus electrical ways of doing what they do. Yeah, I guess one other thing is usually you can recharge a battery because things are built that way. Capacitors, generally you're not doing that yourself. Yeah. Um, next question along those lines, I think same person. Um, how, how do we make capacitors? Where are they made? How are they made? Mm. There's a couple different ways of making them, but capacitors are really, at, at their base, there are always two sheets of, of metallic material, it's conductive material, and in between, they have material that's not uh, conductive. And so that means there's, there's no way for an 
there's no way for DC current to pass through, which is which is a very this is a very annoying explanation because you're like, well, obviously power is passing through it, but you say DC current doesn't pass through. What you can do is it's kind of like um, like if I have like like a piece of plastic in between my hands, so I've got this like piece of plastic. So technically, I'm not touching myself, right? Like my hand isn't touching my other hand. Technically, right? I'm touching the plastic, right? Like. Kind of like, oh, I'm not touching it, I'm not touching it. I'm not touching myself, right? I'm touching the plastic, but I can still move my hands. I can force one hand over by pushing it with the other. So that's kind of how a capacitor works, right? It's, it can push um, the changes in energy over, even though it's technically not conducting it through. I don't know, this is why I wasn't a lecturer. Mm-hmm. But that's basically how capacitors work. So mm-hmm. you make them by taking two conductive materials, two hands, and you put a dielectric, a non-conductive thing in the middle, uh, and then you just wrap it around. I mean, you can make a gigantic sheet and then you wrap it around real tight like a like a towel or something. Yeah, we have two that's why they're videos, um, B is for battery and C is for capacitors. Um, just search for those on YouTube, and uh, you can watch a full video of how we uh, talk about each one of these yeah. with puppets. All right. Um, person saw PDM mics or looking for interface hints to RPI. You can't. Raspberry Pis can't use PDM mics. You need an I2S okay. mic. Uh, what projects have you seen people make with Pico that impress you were unexpected? I'm going to say uh, everybody wanted to do keyboards. Didn't realize that that was I didn't think be, that that was the thing, but that yeah. was that's the thing. Keyboards, macro pads. It is... Um, Not expected, but I'm glad that we had support yeah. for it in CircuitPython. Uh, next up. Uh, what keeps the selective solder machine from bridging? So when you have lots of flux, okay, and uh, uh, nitrogen. All right, uh, I can answer this one. Um, is Adafruit's TikTok a good source of traffic for Adafruit's orders? What social media platforms are the best contributors to Adafruit's order funnel? Thanks. So you can look at it a few ways. Um, with social media platforms, they're they're built for advertisers and influencers, and they're not really, despite sometimes what social media companies say, they're not actually built for education. They're, they're entertainment and following and, and all that. Um, TikTok, I'd say, um, right now in its, its current vibe, there's more instructional videos than like on Instagram, which is more like, here's something I have and I'm showing you. Where mm. TikTok is like, here's something I've learned and making, or at least a lot of the ones that, that we're part of. YouTube, longer form and live. Uh, Twitch, definitely, you know, more of a gaming audience, uh, LinkedIn, more of a business audience, and uh, Facebook, I would say it's more of the folks who now use it as a little bit of a news feed versus just, you know, connecting with others. So as far as where people are, like, ready to do the, the click to purchase, uh, that's always going to be YouTube probably. Um, you'd, there's, like, two big search engines in the world, uh, Google and YouTube, yeah. and they're, you know, same company. Um, well, different divisions in Alphabet. So um, with TikTok, one of the bets that we've made is there's a lot of people that are new, that are beginners, that never have seen electronics, and this might be the first time they see it. So that's why we make specific videos for that format. Um, also, it's pretty common format across the social media platforms. And what we're seeing is people are like, oh, yeah, I saw this like light-up shoe thing. I, I saw this bike that I, I, I wanted to do LEDs, but I didn't know where to start. And this kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier in the show. Um, thank goodness there's no standards yeah. for doing art and doing stuff with your bike and doing you know p- computer programming because they can see this they can imagine themselves doing it and so while TikTok is not a direct like if we have a thousand views 
there's 100 orders. What we do see is people uh, email us or they'll even comment on a TikTok and say, I saw this and I went and got my first electronic kit. So it's, it's working for the way that we want it to. And also, what we, there's more beginners out there than experts, and there's more beginners on those types of platforms. So um, YouTube, conversion rate high. Other platforms, so-so. Um, next up. Uh, I don't think I saw a GST pH battery connector on the Funhouse that uses USB as its only way to power it. Correct. It's not meant for me to be battery powered. It's not a low-power device. Okay. Could you add a Zigbee slash thread module to Funhouse? You could, but there's like no code for that. So what you would probably want to do is is use this with Home Assistant. And Home Assistant, you would plug in a USB, Zigbee, or, or thread module. Like you wouldn't want to write that code on the ESP32. All right. Um, would we ever make a MIDI controller kit? We used to. Yep. One later box subscription is open again. Um, just sign up, and as soon as there's openings, you'll get an email. Right now it's full, so you just have to wait till someone pops out of the uh, the queue, as they say. Um, will you ever put an OV2640 camera that is IR ready without a filter for Arduino? I still can't find one. I don't know if these are good um, or if there's solid demand for one, but I want one. I think these cameras for Arduinos are tough. You're probably best off using a Raspberry Pi and the IR camera. Yep. And I think... Oh, question about the um, the NeoPixel-like strands. Could you address uh, two of them in parallel? Yes. If you connect them, they'll all act the same, though, right? So if you have two in parallel, they're, you're, just, you're connecting two in parallel. They will act the same. Okay. Uh, the new CR2032 battery holder with three flash settings, do you know if the clip, uh, if the chip, sorry, right near the blue button is an ATtiny84 or 85? It's, it's some unknown chip. Yeah, it's not it's not a microcontroller. Okay. Does the ESP32S2 have a reset button? Need a reset button, or is it just for the UI UX? It's people like to reset their stuff. You know, it's always good to have a reset button while you're developing. All right. Uh, we Let's wrap it up. Got all of them, I think. Yeah. We did. Okay. All right, that's the show, everyone, tonight. Uh, special thanks to our team that's over in Discord helping out, our team in Slack uh, behind the scenes at Adafruit. Thank you, Jesse May, all of our Adafruit customers, our community, and all the folks out there that are keeping us going. Thanks so much. Please continue to stay safe, everyone. Um, things are getting better. There's light. There's tunnels. There's more. Um, see you next week. Here is your moment of Zener. Bye, everybody.